This hour of boat talk is made possible in part by Gamble and Hunter Sailmakers, making sails for classic boats, cruising boats, and the main windjammers for over 20 years. Near the harbor in Camden, gambleandhunter.net. It's just a few seconds before 10 o'clock, and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 102.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. Boat Talk with Mike Joyce and Alan Sprague is up next. Good morning. It's the second Tuesday of the month, 10 o'clock. Time for Boat Talk here on Community Radio, WERU-FM, Blue Hill, 89.9, 102.9 in Bangor. Boat Talk is uh, WERU's own call-in radio show for people contemplating things naval with your rusty anchors, Mike Joyce and Alan Sprague. And uh, I'm going to tell you a little quick secret about Mike, you know. He, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> oh, go ahead. After... Uh, Listening to a boat talk for a few years now, you probably realize that Mike is a, is a boat captain and a boat carpenter, but you may not realize that boat uh, that Mike is a uh, an excellent uh, cook on the water too. As a matter of fact, uh, Mike, whenever uh, he's going to go getting ready to go on a cruise, he'll take this certain green leafy vegetable and chop it all up and throw it out in front of the boat so that you won't have to worry about going out on uncharted waters. Wow, <laughs> he really had to work for that one, didn't he? <laughs> Yeah, and I thought it was going to be something about the Schooner Fair we talked about earlier. They well, do our that's theme true. Music, Schooner Fair is our theme song, and uh, it is funathon now for uh, for WERU. So it's time for you to pay your Schooner Fair. The boat talk does transport you to all kinds of places, exotic and far away, and it's time for you to pay your toll by calling. This is the, the pledge number now. If you want to make a pledge, you don't have to go on the air. The just the number to pledge is one eight hundred. Six four three six two seven three. And if you'd like to talk on Boat Talk, our Boat Talk number is one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. And we'd also like to welcome Matt Murphy of Wooden Boat too for joining us on this show. Welcome, Matt. Good morning. Thanks. Guest and guest hosts as we run it around here. Uh, Matt Murphy is uh, again the editor of Wooden Boat Magazine. They just put out their two hundredth issue. We'll get to that in a little while. We also hope to have uh, Foy Brown from uh, Brown's Boatyard over in North Haven on the phone, talk about the boat of the month for a few minutes. But Alan's got a uh, interview to get to. But before we do that, uh, I'd just like to mention that boat talk is just a joy to do. It really is, and we get a lot of feedback. Yeah, we sure do. Yeah, and uh, people like boat talk apparently uh, for whatever reason, and. You know, if I could, on the uh, WERU website uh, where it's posted uh, for podcast, WERU.org, and also at BoatTalk.org, some pictures, some uh, old shows and stuff, they count the downloads, you know, and uh, compared to other stuff, uh, Boat Talk gets a lot of attention. So we'd like you to reflect that this morning and maybe help support community radio. Uh, how could Boat Talk be happening without WERU here, this unique place that we do it in, in this, uh, frankly, as uh, we say to Alan and I sometimes have a little meeting, what are, what are we going to talk? I got nothing. You got no poor us, you know. <laughs> uh, trust the audience is, is one of our big, big founding principles, you know. Yeah. Not only do they have a lot to say, that's usually probably more correct than whatever we have to say, too. Yeah. And uh, maybe you ain't even got a boat, but you still like boat talk. Maybe you've got a boat. You haven't got an extra penny because you got, you know what I'm saying. And uh, But... We're asking you to support community radio and boat talk this morning. Give us a call, 
1-800-643-6273 is the pledge line. Speaking of uh, not even having boats that like in Boat Talk, uh, people, I guess I've heard the statistic that uh, there's 30,000 approximately wooden pleasure boats in the country, but Wooden Boat Magazine has a, a circulation of over 100,000. Uh, closer to uh, 90,000. 90,000, but still, and it's like every three boat, three people for every one wooden boat in the country. That's, a, that's quite a remarkable thing for Wooden Boat, too, that proves the popularity of that magazine. Right. Yeah. Boats reflect dreams in a lot of ways, you know, and a lot of boats don't get used, let's, let's put it frankly, but they're there ready for the dream now, aren't they? And maybe that's an important thing, I think. Well, speaking of dreams, um, I have a, a, a good friend, neighbor, over on Montezuma Island, who's retired now, but uh, he had always dreamed of going to sea, even as a youngster, and uh, went to Maine Maritime. And uh, I went down and talked with him about some of his adventures at Mar Maritime Academy. So here's a little interview I had with uh, Lester Smolage. I went to Maine Maritime Academy, and it was the smartest thing I ever did. It was a wonderful time. Uh, the first week or two was bad when they had the hazing, but it was the best thing for a wise guy. And so I had a pretty good uh, education there. And uh, they actually uh, sent us to New York where I had a brother. In fact, I had two, three brothers that went to the Maritime Academy. And the uh, middle one, uh, Niffy, he had shipped with a company, Faroline, and he said, go see the uh, placement officer there. Uh, I know him real well, and I know he'll be able to help you get straightened out. So I did. I was in New York for about a week and uh, finally uh, the uh, company had a job open so they told me and I went over to the Union Hall. You had to join there and I joined up and I uh, went on to uh, one of the old C3s. That was the uh, designation of when it was built and uh, it was an older type, uh, rounded stern, uh, sharp bow, probably made about uh, 10 knots. Mm -hmm. Single screw? Single screw, yeah. And uh, I went on as a third engineer and uh, became very good friends with most of the engineers on there. So we had a good ship. And the ship ran to Africa and I left New York and 17 days later they said you will see Africa tomorrow and we pulled into Cape Town Harbor which is right on the southern tip of Africa and I was saying this doesn't look right I don't see any elephants or anything else it was a huge city and I mean a beautiful place, a big flat top mountain, and I mean, I couldn't wait to get ashore. And that's the way it was probably for the rest of my shipping life, was no matter where you went, you always saw something new. And it was very interesting. Let me say this, I've been to Australia, been to New Zealand, I've been through the islands in the Pacific, all through uh, the Mediterranean, all the way around Africa, except for the Suez Canal. I never did go through that. 
And uh, uh, yes, South Africa was my favorite. I mean, once you got to know the people there, very friendly, and they spoke English, where, what they do and don't do in a lot of the other African countries. Nice place. In fact, I met my wife there, and we got married. I brought her over here and have lived happily ever after. You saw the change from uh, cargo to containers. Yes. When the first ship I went out on, the C-3 was what you would call a brink bulk. That meant everything came aboard in a on a pallet or in a heavy box or something like that. Or and it was put down into the hole and they could spread it out and fill out everything. And then when the containers came, it was an altogether different game. This break bulk meant that you had to stay in port longer and that was nice for us because you could work on your machinery and everything while you were there. And when the containers came, I mean... In most of the countries, you come in in the morning and you would be out in the afternoon. Loaded again? Yeah. No. Well, no, you'd be in and discharge for that. Mm -hmm. And then you would go up the coast and discharge what you had. And then when you were empty, you'd turn around and come back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, it really cut down the time that, uh, you know, they had to stay in port because this stuff was zip, zip, zip. I've gone by some of these container ships. I am amazed at how high they stack those things up. Everybody I ask you, you know, why, why don't they blow over? Yeah. Car carriers are the same way. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, of course, all the heavy machinery is in the bottom, yeah. and all of your fuel oil and all of your water, everything is way below the water. So the uh, it's the counterweight that, that mm -hmm. does it. Yeah. But, geez, don't, don't some of them... Just the containers themselves blow off. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. You get into storms. You can't imagine the power of a storm. When you go into a wave and you bury the bow of the ship, sometimes you almost stop. And they they shake. They'll go like that, you know. And, I mean, you know, you don't sleep when you get in a storm like that. And it's... Uh, it's you know, uh, you don't feel right, you don't want to eat, yeah. and so you're, you're just hoping that you get into better. What happens when you lose them? You just... The containers? Yeah. Uh, well, there's nothing you can do. Yeah. Uh, the things that, uh, they, they uh, I think they wanted them to try to sink them if they did. You know, maybe shoot a hole or something in them. Because they floated, and I mean, if they're loaded... You know, with the like, sometimes they had rolls of paper in there and whatnot. Oh, and uh, so I mean, that's sing. that's a heavy weight. Yeah. And some, you know, small ship coming along could theoretically, you know, hit it. Yeah. Put a hole through it. The uh, the ship that the I was on was steam turbine, and that meant you cooled all the water after it came through uh, the steam. I'm sorry, mm -hmm. through the turbine with uh, ocean water. And uh, you had a big intake, which was probably two and a half feet, into this thing. And uh, one night we were somewhere down off the lower part of uh, Madagascar. And uh, the man in the engine room called me and said, there's something wrong here. We're losing vacuum on the main unit. 
So I ran down, and sure enough, and I says, what the heck can be this? And about then, the telephone rang down there, and the man on watch said, hey, I, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you something. I don't know what it is, but we're coming up on this big purple fluorescent thing in the ocean here. He says, it, and it's, you know, two or three miles. And I says, why? And so I ran upstairs, uh, up on the deck, looked out, and sure enough, I mean, this was all purple in the water, and it was a nice calm night. Like phosphorescence. Yeah. yeah. And so I uh, I said, gee, I wonder what that is. And uh, I called the bridge, and the captain says, hey, you better stand by. He says, I'm going to try to get out of this. He says, I think it's jellyfish. And it was. And just about then, we started losing the plant. Because all these jellyfish got into the condenser and shut off the water. And we had to stop, open it up, clean them out, and then start up again. That was one thing. Another phenomenon I saw was five water spouts. Yes, I've seen those too. And they were in a row. Just like that. And we were down off the bulge of Africa. And uh, that was very interesting to see. We always saw whales. I mean, uh, they were things like that. And when we used to go through, like, the Panama Canal and things like that, that was very interesting, watching how they did it and walk you through. And when you come out there, you'd always see sea turtles on the other side. We'd go up to California. I mean, uh, the the... Different things for cargo was amazing. You could ship anything, the refrigerators, cars. What about all this Homeland Security and everything? Did you get involved with that or was it your time? At the time when I was there, uh, it was very lax. You know, I mean, that was none of that foolishness, you know. What, what you had to look out for was stowaways. Stowaways, especially from Africa and from the third world, you know, they, they loved to get to America. And uh, they would, you know, have somebody uh, help them and get them aboard, and they'd hide somewhere until you got out. And that was the worst thing the captain uh, wanted, <laughs> yeah. wanted to hear <laughs> was, we got a stowaway. <laughs> yeah. And they'd usually wait two or three days, mm-hmm. and then they'd come out and try to find food at night or something. Mm-hmm. And it meant that if they couldn't get him off the ship somewhere, when they got to New York, they put two iron guards on it, and the company had to pay for it. And then they were fined for having letting him go to board the ship anyway. Whenever we went to uh, Spain, it was the same thing. Uh, and that was when the container started coming. And one night, just before dark, the bosun went up to check these. Uh, we were carrying cargo, uh, you know, the... Containers. Oh, yeah. The container ships. And uh, he went up to check them, make sure that uh, they had them, uh, they put uh, cables on them to, so they wouldn't rattle a lot. And when he got up there, he noticed that there was a, a square sign which was for, you know, double uh, hazardous cargo. And he looked at it and he says, Something's wrong with that. And about then, he saw it move. <laughs> When we had been in Spain, they had gotten into a container on the loading berth where they were going to the United States. They cut that thing out, crawled in there, and had all this stuff. And then when they saw that they were coming to pick this thing up, 
down on the dock, they, they, you know, hauled it in. They loaded them on, and it was about two, two boxes down. But from where the uh, bosun had stood, he could see the man. So he, he went back and told the captain. The captain said, well, we'll take care of him in the morning. And we got into a storm. Oh. <laughs> when the boats went up in the morning, these guys had this thing out, and they're waving and hollering. <laughs> they want out. <laughs> yeah. Probably yeah. a container full of puke by then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, foolishness like that, you know. Yeah. I'd just like to add, if, if there's anybody, young people listening, that want to go into a good trade, it is a, a good job to get. It's a, a well-paying job, and, uh, you know, if you pay attention, you can work your way up the thing and have a good life out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much, Lester. Okay. Well, that, that's Lester Smallage in the uh, the story of the Jellyfish Jam. And uh, we're back to uh, live call-in radio now, too. If you'd like to give us a call, here's the number to call for Boat Talk, one 625 9378 We'll get you right into uh, the cockpit of Boat Talk. And we'll... Once again, kind of an embarrassment of riches this morning. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about. We'll have, uh, hopefully, Foy Brown on the telephone from uh, Brown's Boatyard in North Haven in a minute. But... We uh, usually do a little wrap up of the marine news for the week, and this week because we get this month because we got so much uh, stuff, we'll keep it a little brief. But I think this is huge. There is an ongoing issue with uh, lobster fishermen and whales, and uh, specifically rope issues about entangling whales. There's a big uh, move on to get the boys to switch to floating rope, and uh, you know they're not very happy about Sinking that. Sinking rope. Sinking rope. You're right. Um, uh, they're not very happy about that, and uh, there are basically three parties, the environmental uh, uh, you know, side of, of the uh, story, the environmentalists, the uh, scientists, and the fishermen, and they're kind of at odds with each other. The uh, lobster fishery is mandated to uh, have this in place next fall, I believe. Well, Hogan and Hartson, a major, major, major Washington, D.C. law firm. Uh, New York, isn't it? Uh, no, Washington, Washington D.C. Okay. So right. major that uh, John Roberts, now the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, that's where he came from. Okay, they have 1,100 lawyers down there. They have taken on the uh, Maine Lobstermen's Association as a pro bono client, and they will be arguing this in federal court, uh, or hopefully not in federal court, but they've taken this on as a pro bono thing. The way this happened is one of the partners of this law firm, Summers, in uh, Port Clyde. And he run into a fellow there who was on the board of directors of the Maine Lobstermen's Association. And they got to talking. Now, Hartson and uh, Hogan and Hartson, the law firm, has what's called the Community Service Department. And they put it out to them, and they have taken it on. Uh, they do this on a regular basis. They, uh, you know, uh, always have taken on cases for pro bono. They're doing the Maine Lobstermen's Association. The lady who's in charge of this has an interesting approach. She says, we hope... For no litigation, litigation would be our, quote, last resort, and another, quote, bad results come from litigation. So she wants to sit down the different parties, the environmental camp, the fishermen, and the uh, scientists, and get them all to see what they have in common and, and uh, try to do this in the most painless method possible. 
big lawyers for mm. free. These people are connected in the hugest way. That's great. In Washington, D.C., that is pretty cool. Yeah, very, yeah. very unshelfish for lawyers. Wow! He just can't help himself, apparently. Uh, also, real quick here, the boat school down in Eastport. We're big champions of the boat school, now being administered by Husson College, having maybe something of a renaissance down there. They'll be having an open house April 17th if you're down towards Eastport, 10 to 3, the boat school. And uh, that pretty much takes care of it. We'll keep the, like say, the uh, Marine News abbreviated this this uh, session. We have hopefully Foy Brown on the phone. Foy, good morning. Hi. How are you today? It's a beautiful day, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's nice. Foy, you're down to J&O Brown's Boatyard. Who's J- who's who's J.O. Brown? Uh, J.O. Brown was my great-grandfather. When did he start the place? He started in 1888. Wow. It's like 120 years now. And in the family all since? Yeah. What kind of crew you got down there right now besides you? Hell, my brother, my son, my sister, my daughter, uh, and a couple other guys that aren't actually related. My cousin, is here. she's on the mainland today, but she's usually answering the phone and stuff. But uh, in the summertime, we have two or three young fellas that help us extra, so... There's six or seven of us or more. Wow, really is a family boatyard, isn't it? Yeah. Um, while we're talking about uh, J.O. Brown, he uh, uh, designed and built the first, uh, I believe, North Haven dinghies, didn't he? Uh, yeah, he did, yeah. And they're still being used nowadays. Yeah, not much as they should be, but they're still using them. A lot of them are fiberglass nowadays. There's still a few wooden ones. Huh. Do you still make them? Well, I've built several. Uh, we haven't built any... Uh, for quite a number of years, the last couple have been fiberglass that we finished off. But uh, when I first got out of high school, we built, I don't know, I think three windows in a row we built three. Uh, so that's nine right there. And, uh, it takes three or four guys about a month to build one. So it's quite a lot of work in them. Boat designs go in waves sometimes, more popular for a while, then they fade off, and then they come back and... Uh... You know, they ain't going away. So the reason we got talking to you is uh, I got a book in the mail here from uh, uh, one of your crew, Louisa Barabo. It's called The Making of Agnes, 120 Years, One Main Island, One Family, One More Boat, Kim Brown Alexander. What a nice little book. Really happy you sent this over. This was about, uh, well, tell us about Agnes. Well, Agnes, uh, is she's 23 feet. We built it for summer people here. And uh, the original uh, is a yard boat here, which was a, a foot or so shorter, and I, I lengthened Agnes out a little bit. And, um, the guy that uh, we built it for, he saw one of my guys in there, you know, steering with the tiller, just the stick sticking up there, and he, he thought that was really cool. Want to know if we could do one for him? And that's a lot of, spent a lot of money on it, but I mean, it. Uh, She's all tricked out with mahogany and got a rounded combing up forward. And, and everything's covered with epoxy before we put it on and smoothed up. And she came out really nice, brass all over, you know. And, and uh, it, it, was, it was fun to do, and uh, it came out nice. Nice work. That's right on the water line, and she goes good, and she steers good, and she's quiet. And so... Uh, yeah, it just turned out really nice. 
Nice work if you can get it. Now, I want to explain something to folks. Uh, we uh, have lots of people that listen to Boat Talk, don't know nothing about boats, and we try to explain things every once in a while. By tiller steering, uh, you're not talking about a tiller attached to the rudder at the back of the boat or a steering wheel up near the uh, steering station. What it is is a stick on the side rail of the boat that stands up and down, and you push it and pull it to go one way or the other. Like uh, sort of a yacht club launch is where you see yeah, that most yeah, often. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's just uh, hooked to the run around by ropes and pulleys and yeah uh it's fast you know you can whip them around way quicker than you can with the steering wheel pretty handy rig well they wouldn't use them around yacht clubs if they weren't handy would they right yeah now that's a good that's good work if you can get it making a, a boat for some summer people there isn't it yes doesn't happen every winter though no no it's been quite a while actually since we've done something like that it's probably um uh, business-wise, I mean, you're on an island, and in a way, that's a good thing. And in a way, it's it's kind of a you know quite a bridge to get over, isn't it? Right. Yeah. It's uh, you know you got a little bit of a captured audience, but it's hard to get people from away to you know come out and see what you're doing. Uh, uh, even to get here, I had a guy actually this fall that. Uh, called me up about doing a boat, and that actually ended up falling through, but uh, he was uh, looking for somebody to do a boat, and he happened to ask his stern man, and and the guy told him, because his regular guy couldn't do it, he was booked up, and uh, so he asked his stern guy, he said, oh, who, could, who could build me a boat? And, and the guy, his stern man, had been here because we built boats for guys in Massachusetts, and he was friends with them. And and uh, he said, "Well, Foy Brown can do it." He says, "And he can do just as good a job as the as the other guy, if not better." He called me up, and we had everything all set. But then uh, I don't know what happened, but it it didn't happen. You were talking about maybe uh, like say finishing off a fiberglass yeah, lobster hull. Yeah, that, that was finishing off. That's quite a different winter of work than building the wooden one, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't smell anywhere near as good. <laughs> the dust in the uh, shop is quite different. That fiberglass dust doesn't, you know, the wood dust, I'm sure your shop's quite full of it looking at the pictures here. Yeah. And yeah. You're always yeah. itching to go home. That's three. <laughs> right, yeah, after you work in fiberglass, you need to go home and take a shower. Yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> whole different, uh, you know, whole, but they're both boats, and, uh, you know, I guess it's the it's the end result that we're after. So Yeah, well, uh, there isn't enough people and there isn't enough wood nowadays if, if every boat was wood, you just just couldn't do it. We were talking last night about Peter Cass over in Bristol, though, who builds pretty much exclusively wooden lobster boats, and he's booked for, I believe, uh, quite the future, too. Yeah, I, I think so. I hope he is. Yeah, it can be done. Kind of interesting. Foy, uh, besides running the boatyard there, I like to I like to brag that as a boat builder, I can do about anything, you know. You, you kind of got to be versatile to be a boat builder. And uh, being on an island there, you end up uh, taking care of a lot of different stuff besides boats, don't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we do a little of everything. Uh, we got, of course, I don't know how many boats stored here that we haul up. We got a travel lift, and we got a couple of hydraulic trailers to set them around the yard. And we got a yard up over the hill that's full, and the storage building up there. And, and uh, you know, if it's welding, uh, we got our welders back together. So, you know, I got the garage on fire this fall and <laughs> <laughs> ruined everything. Uh, but uh, we got that 
after all winter patched up and better than it would before. Uh, so, you know, welding, uh, woodwork, they bring, you know, the people bring, the carpenters bring uh, material down here. If they want it planed down, we get a planer and all the saws. And, of course, moorings, floats, uh, and we have to bring people from Vinyl Haven. Of course, Vinyl Haven is just a couple hundred yards across here. And, we're hauling people back and forth there all the time, and especially now that we actually have uh, captain's licenses, we can do it without sweating every time we see the Coast Guard. <laughs> huh. I haven't got one myself yet, but I've been doing it for years, you know, and, and uh, that's how I'm still operating. But anyway, it is an issue. You're right. Um, a couple of years ago, there was a, I believe he's a summer fellow out on the island there. He's involved in, uh, uh, you know, the Broadway world, and, and the people on North Haven basically put on a Broadway show. Oh, yeah, I was in that. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and and the reason I brought it up, there's a song in that show. I mean, you got a song written about you, Foy. Uh, oh, yeah. It's not like Layla or, you know, one of them <laughs> great, but it is sort of a love song. It's called The Joy of Foy. Yeah. And it's basically, if you need something, uh, you know, if you got a problem, it's a joy to know Foy. Is, isn't that the theme of the song? Yeah, yeah. Every once in a while when I do something for somebody, like on a Sunday or after work, uh, you know, uh, I just say, uh, you just run into the joy of Foy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a beautiful thing. We are so happy to talk to you this morning. I can't wait next time to come by the uh, Fox Island thoroughfare, stop in there. Like, say, the big red barn on the North Haven side. Right. Yeah. Um, anything else you like to throw in before we're out of here this morning? Uh, uh, well, uh, I don't know. I want to thank Louisa for sending the book in. Me too. Uh, my sister did the book, and I think she did a real good job. And uh, uh, so we, you know, it was, it's been fun to look at and to show people. And well, boy, it's it's an excellent book. I, I must say, I, it's one of my favorite kind of books because it's got a lot of pictures. Yeah. yeah. Not too much reading. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I also need to say hi to Foster Badovic, who's down at the College of the Atlantic. I hope he's listening. Huh. Yo, Foster. Ooh. Yep. <laughs> so if somebody wanted to buy this book for you, how would they be able to do that? Uh, well, they could, uh, you know, call the email. I think my sister's got some extras. Um, the email is jobrown at midcoast.com. And that's all small letters, no periods or anything in jobrown. J.O. Brown's into the into the cyber age now. What a yeah, thing, oh, you yeah. know? Not me, but the girls in the office. All now. right, then. <laughs> first first fiberglass, then computers. Could I read just a little bit from Kim, Kim Brown Alexander's uh, introduction to, uh, again, it's called The Making of Agnes. 120 years, one main family, one, one main island, one family, one more boat. And it says here, uh, the journey takes you from laying the oak, keel to the grand launching party when Agnes hits the water of the Fox Island thoroughfare. There are many stages of the boat's progress that I missed for various reasons. It was too cold for the camera to work. It was too dark in the shop to get a good shot. I couldn't get out of the office. They never told me when they were going to do something interesting. Seemed like nothing happened for weeks. It was too cold again for the camera to work. It's hard to make sand and look interesting. You get the idea. I hope you enjoy these uh, pictures and the sense of the old-fashioned boat building skills that are Still being practiced by one family on the island of North Haven off the coast of Maine, Kim Brown Alexander. That's a beautiful thing, uh, Foy, and we thank you for uh, talking to us this morning. Okay, it's good talking to you guys. Yeah. Right. Thank you, Foy. Thanks, okay. Foy. 
Foy Brown once again from uh, J.O. Brown's Boatyard over on North Haven there. We'll Agnes be the boat of the month this month on uh, Boat Talk. Yep, it's a pretty one. I'll have to put a picture onto the website, too. I haven't done that yet, but I will. Yeah. Let's, uh, we're about halfway through Boat Talk. We're doing it on community radio. It's WERU this morning, and uh, I guess we ought to try to pitch one more time, get them to make the phone ring, send That's us some right. money. What do you think? Yes, if you uh, want to pay your toll to uh, go voyaging with boat, boat Talk, the number to call is 1-800-643-6273 is our pledge line. If you want to just get on and chat with the boys, the number to call is 1-866-625-9378, especially if you've got some things to talk about in the wooden boat realm. Yeah, we pretty much interrupt what we're doing and, and talk to people. You don't have to feel that it might not fit in or uh, might be outside the bubble. Uh, we we're, we run it pretty loose around Boat Talk. I guess that's a good thing. <laughs> Most of the time, I guess we kind of brag about it. We do have uh, Matt Murphy in here this morning, though, who's the editor of Wooden Boat Magazine. Wooden Boat Magazine just put out their 200th issue, which is quite something. And uh, we'll get to the history of Wooden Boat in a minute. Uh, first, without being uh, you know too intrusive, Matt, we've got to delve into your psyche. For instance, what happened to you as a young man to warp you in, uh, towards boats? I don't know, but I haven't recovered yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one of our favorite boat talk questions. I mean, what, what, you know, what happened to you? Well, I, I picked up a copy of the magazine around age 15, and uh, that's what hooked me. And you became literary somewhere along the line, too, I'm assuming. You're the editor. Uh, by osmosis, because I, I studied biology in college. I hmm. did, too. All right. I could have been the editor. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Very interesting. Uh, when did you show up to Wooden Boat Magazine? Uh, the year was um, 91. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, to me, and we've, well, we've talked about this, uh, the iconic uh, photograph to me is John Wilson sitting on a log in a flannel kind of coat, uh, and it's kind of snowy. He's uh, about a quarter mile from his house at the end of the driveway, and he's talking on the phone, which is nailed to a tree. That's a good word for it, the uh, iconic photograph. Yeah, right? and uh, that's how he started Wooden Boat Magazine, which was called The Wooden Boat at the time. Um, what were the chances for I mean, that shouldn't have worked. Well, the phone was nailed to the tree, of course, because there wasn't the budget to extend the line into the cabin where the magazine was launched. And it's, it's pretty hard to start a magazine in the first place. There are, what, about a billion magazines out in the world nowadays? Oh, about a billion. Yeah. <laughs> I'm assuming there's new ones all the time. Uh, the uh, survival rate for new magazines, sort of maybe like new restaurants? Like new restaurants. I imagine it's right. a hard business to, to make catch on. It is, and uh, I've heard John say um, that he didn't know enough not to start it. <laughs> Beautiful, he isn't didn't it? didn't have magazine experience. Then. Yeah. And... Uh, Wooden Boat Magazine, now there's a lot of, uh, you compete, I would think, with uh, all the other boating magazines, but you do have kind of a unique editorial content. We have a niche within the, the boating world, for sure. Um, and is that what it hangs on, or is it, you know, is it all just uh, hardware, and you know what I'm saying? Uh, there's a dream involved in it, too, isn't there? There is, but I think it's hard to boil it down to one thing. I right. always think of our readership as a, a pie with, with many slices. Because we have people who like power boats and larger boats mm -hmm. and, and sailboats and smaller boats. They're paddlers or boat builders or sailors. Yeah, I look at it as a resource myself. As a matter of fact, just yesterday I uh, went into some old wooden boats to find the uh, sources for brass cowl vents. Did you find them? Yes, I did. Found five, as a matter of fact, which uh, surprised the service writer I was trying to write for because he was Googling and only was able to come up with one. So it's an excellent resource, too, for boat builders and 
owners. I did a beautiful thing. I'm a typical wooden boat reader, and uh, you know, been accumulating them forever. You find them a, a stack at a yard sale, you buy them all, you take them home. I had stacks and stacks of those things all around the place. When I needed to look something up, of course, they're all out of order. I couldn't find anything. <laughs> and what I did was I uh, went into the Ellsworth Library and I looked at their boat talk connect collection, kind of incomplete. I collated it with mine. And I uh, filled in their collection with all the ones I had. They didn't. And now there's a better collection sitting on the shelf in Ellsworth. It's all arranged and easy to access. And I took the other ones that were all doubles, and I put them in a a bunch of boxes up to the Ellsworth dump in the giveaway section, okay? Left them there about 9 o'clock in the morning. Thought to circle back about 11 o'clock. That was long gone. Yeah, I'd been up there by then. (laughs) Yeah, they were long, long gone. But it is. It's a beautiful. Uh, it's a beautiful resource. There's uh, the Wooden Boat Index, which you can find online now. Right. Well, I was going to say uh, woodenboat.com. www.woodenboat.com. And um, good the, work there. <laughs> the uh, the index and among many other things is online. Editorially, um, I mean, uh, like I say, the subject is exhaustible. Have we been been repeating ourselves? Is there? Uh, I mean, I guess repeating yourself is a good thing sometimes on some subjects. Circling back and and re. Uh, Retouching things, for instance? Uh, we do, but um, we go at least a decade, and preferably about 13 years before we do that. Really? Which is, you know, almost a little more than a half-life of the mag- so far of the magazine. Um, Interesting. Um, but yes, uh, we'll certainly come back to a topic if it's worthy of updating, but not tell it from the same angle again, because people do tend to hang on to these. Yeah. But there are new readers all the time. So, for example, they might want to... Um, they might not have read about the disappearing propeller boats in Ontario, which we published about uh, 20 years ago. Yeah. And uh, that's a topic that will be coming up in the next 18 months or so. Interesting. Yeah, circling back to stuff, we try to do that around Boat Talk, too. Raw Faith would be a good example. I, I get asked all the time, about that fellow with the school bus wants to sail around the world. Where's he at, you know? <laughs> and uh, we also want to make a habit of circling back to the archaeology we talked about last month with Franklin Price. Talked about some underwater artifacts uh, found off of Bass Harbor. We'll be talking about more about that in the future. Sorry to get off the track for a minute, but um, I've just been wondering, too, on that subject. Um, you find these old artifacts, these uh, Stone Age tools were nine to seven to 9,000 years old found in the water off of Bass Harbor. You try to intuit these people's lives from, uh, you know, the artifact that you found. I'm trying to imagine archaeologists 10,000 years from now going with little fox hair brushes through the big trash heap up in Hamden there and trying to figure out what our lives were like from our trash piles. They might find your wooden boats. My goodness. Well, uh, (laughs) maybe they will decompose uh, nicely as opposed to the newspaper and hot dogs, which I guess don't. But anyway, you you are not only the editor of the the thing, but you write as well. how about some favorite things that you've uh, that you've covered and and uh, you get around? Uh, they they send you traveling every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Tell us some glamorous places you've been. And well, a, a favorite was a, um, a a boat builder I visited in South Georgia, not South Georgia, yeah. <laughs> the Antarctic South Georgia, but the the state, the southern portion of Georgia. Okay, United State. That's right. Yeah, um, a um, fellow named Rob White who. Um, Really? Oh, excellent. Rob just passed on, too. Rob just passed on. Very unusual fella. Yes. Had yeah. some unusual methods. Yeah, and he's got an, had an 1,100-acre longleaf pine plantation, which is still Ooh. in his family. That's good stuff, too. And, um, and he was managing it as old growth, you know, trying mm-hmm. to, really planning this for his grandchildren to build boats from. And he had a very, very unique perspective on life. And, uh, 
on life, on design, and he was all about superheating things and, and getting the glue to, to draw into the pores. That's right. He had a method of epoxying boats where it would heat the whole shop up to a little over 100 degrees, spread the epoxy all at once, and then shut it off. So when the, uh, the vacuoles and, and um, cells collapses as they cool, they draw the epoxy in. And that sounded a little bit too theoretical to me, and I called somebody at, at uh, Goujon Brothers, the epoxy company, and ran it by them, and, and they, 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 said, it was they fine. said it was fine. As yeah. long as you use slow hardener, I would assume. I yeah, was, because uh, it's yeah. Heat, heat cures it, and uh, boy, you want to slow it down while you're working with it, not make everything super hot, and to me that's so counterintuitive. Yeah. But what a beautiful thing to hear people doing counterintuitive things. Well, you have some phone calls. Let's, uh, let's go to I guess phone so. calls. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Hey, guys. Um, I had an interesting experience this week. Uh, someone got in touch with me about a ship that was built in Belfast, five-masted schooner called the Jenny Flood Craker. Um, they found me on the Internet because I, I wrote a song about the ship because my great-great-grandfather was one of the captains of the boat. And so these people found me, and their grandfather, turns out, was one of the fellows that helped build the boat. And so uh, they sent me an article from the Down East Enterprise from 1964. And it was just um, pretty interesting to read a little bit about the history. Uh, she was the, the largest ship built in Belfast, made of wood, I do believe. And I'd just be fascinated to see if there's anyone else out there that has information about the Jenny Flood Crager or... Jenny Flint? Flood. Jenny Flood? How do you spell Crager? K R E. G-E-R. Yeah. When do you think it was built? Uh, she was built in 1919, launched in March. Well, that was fairly late in Five the... Five uh, mastered, yeah. That's a yeah. yeah, it was. Uh, she was um, junked eventually, you know, not too many years later in, in Boston, I understand. I posted the article on my website that uh, these people uh, sent to me. And uh, it gives the, you know, the size and what this guy did for work on the boat. And Where are you calling bit. from, sir? I'm calling from, uh, I live in Orland, but I'm working in Belfast. And you said somebody found you on the Internet and you wrote a song. Who are we speaking with this morning? Uh, th my name's Sean Mercer. The, the oh, website Sean. where it's posted is seanmercer.com. Excellent. Um, oh, I had something else, too. But uh, left, uh, See, in those days, uh, just after World War I, I believe freight rates were right through the roof. You know, and uh, it was what I consider to be the last days of building the big wooden ship out on the bank, out in the open, you know, and launching it. And they had uh, made a transition from square riggers to schooners um, just because of the ease of the sail handling, uh, basically the efficiency of the rig. And uh, one of the trends was, well, if you can build a two-masted schooner, what about a three-masted schooner? Hell, let's try four or five. And I believe there was one seven-masted schooner. I have schooner. a picture of the seven-masted yeah, schooner. Yeah, I got her on my Thomas Lawson. I got her on my refrigerator magnet. Yeah. So anyway, I think that's what was uh, the context of, of uh, the Jenny Crager there. And uh, it's interesting. Maybe somebody will know about it, Sean. Yeah, I'd be fascinated. Uh, there's contact information if anyone looks into it on the website. And, uh, SeanMercer.com. Yeah. Which way do you spell Sean? Uh, S-H-A-W-N. Okay. One of, the, one of the neat things about... What he mentioned is that uh, on her maiden voyage, she sh sailed into her berth unassisted Ooh. on her return into New York Harbor. So that sounds quite a feat. And I have another <laughs> article in my family where she did that in uh, Baltimore as well. Wow. 
good That's, seamanship, yeah, no doubt about pretty, it. I, I don't know who was captaining the maiden voyage, but my, my great-great-grandfather was in charge when she came into Baltimore. And uh, now you're... Uh, on your Boondock Blues, there's there's a song about a captain. I can't think of the title. Yeah, that's that's the song. It's about um, it's called Grampy Captain. Yeah, that's what everybody calls my great great grandfather and the family. So it's about him and the Jenny Flood Craiger. Too cool. I played uh, Runoff last week on the Barefoot Blues Hour yeah. off your <laughs> off your record. If you didn't catch it by I, chance, I did hear about that. Thanks. Um, uh, Matt Murphy just passed over a little note here that says uh, you might want to uh, look into the merchant vessel list that they may have available for you at the Maine Maritime Academy Library. The Maine Maritime Academy, great. Yeah, maybe try that out, speaking of local resources. Great, Sean, well, thanks very much. Yeah, Sean Mercer. Thank you, Sean. And I believe we have another phone call, too. Let's go right to that. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Hey, uh, this is Jim over in Burnham. Hi, Jim. Morning, Jim. And uh, I'm going to be doing a repair on a canoe for a friend. And uh, basically it was on somebody's roof racks, and uh, they were backing it up and ran over one of the painters and just mm. kind of kinked the whole thing. Uh, Wait it's now. It's a fiberglass hull. Oh, kinked the, can- the whole hull of the canoe. Yeah. It's a, it's a fiberglass and rails and, uh, you know, just kinked those things, too, about four feet in from one of the ends. Uh-oh. So I've taken the rails off and made wood rails. Thinking I can spring everything back together. Uh oh, you can. <laughs> you can't. You no, you can. You can. I yeah, have. I don't know. Uh, there's some uh, Royal X, for instance, is a product that's made to be deformed and then reformed. But yeah. uh, you know, I probably don't have a Royal X canoe there. Now for a wooden canoe. If well, it, it seems like canoe, the, yes. the part of the boat that's actually in the water is not drastically changed. Yeah. So, uh, but you know, as you're coming up uh, with the freeboard, that's where you get into the kink. Well, Mike, maybe it's only for twisted, kinky people to go paddling. <laughs> Mike yeah. does have a point, though. Is it, is it, do you know if it is fiberglass or Rolex or some sort of other? Uh, I'm pretty sure it's fiberglass. It's an old Sawyer. Maybe okay, from, uh, it probably late is fiberglass. 70s. Fiberglass got a memory, and once it bends and, uh, you know, it doesn't like to go back, mm-hmm. and once it cracks, you kind of got a problem, and, and uh, I think you would be fighting that. But if it's just mostly cosmetic, yeah, put your uh, biggest piece of wood you can dare on there straighten things out uh you know to be sandwiching more fiberglass on the inside of the laminate to reinforce it gets kind of heavy but yeah you know that that's one way to reinforce the structure there i guess yeah here's a tip though when you do put your rails on put them on both mostly at the same time if you do one side then the other you're going to end up having more of a spring on one side than the other oh yeah <clears throat> yeah i was planning on putting a you know inner and outer rails with uh spacer blocks on the inside of the hull mm-hmm. is that right. going to help me or hurt me or would uh, be better off getting rid of the spacer blocks? No, uh, the better you can hold the shape of the boat, the better off you'll be. And they're good to drain drain water when the canoe's upside down, too. True. Yeah, it's kind of handy just going on a trip to be able to tie stuff off anywhere. Right. Yep, they're good for a lot of different uh, reasons there. Well, how thin can I make those and have them still be useful, do you think? Well, I'd uh, make them no smaller, certainly, than a quarter of an inch, more towards three-eighths or so. You'd want to be able to get a line down through them, for one thing. Yeah. You know? Uh, you wouldn't want them too narrow. You wouldn't mm-hmm. want them blocked up by a drop of water, for instance, a surface adhesion or something. Yeah. yeah. I think three-eighths probably is three a little bit more than asking a three-eighths line through there if you wanted to. And you'd probably want more blocks than holes, you know, when you get right down to it, or maybe maybe equal, I don't know, but uh, certainly not a lot more hole than block, I wouldn't think. <clears throat> and these blocks, give or take a little bit, around three inches long? Yeah, why not? And maybe uh, cove, them, cove the ends so it's uh, or uh 
champ for the ends? Or yeah, champ for the ends or something. Uh, like I say, you got to give water a nice way to get through there. It's going to get caught in the cracks. You know, you make more corners and stuff for water to get caught in. Always bad. Yeah. It's one, I think, the great lessons of the planet. If you uh, shed water like a duck, you'll have a happy life, you know, and if mm-hmm. you absorb water, you're going to die ugly and rotten probably, and uh, boats and a lot of things are yeah, like that. Boats. Yeah, boats. And it's good to stay hydrated there, with, you know. Yeah. Matt, of course, uh, suggests a wooden canoe might be more appropriate uh, target for you there. I've got one. You know, anybody wants an old, uh, I believe it's an old, old town uh, wooden canoe that's, uh, you know, uh, needs total fixing up. I've got one, if anybody knows one. Huh. Jim, uh, you supplied a boat for the Unity Barn Raisers. I did. Yeah, the True Rocket. Yeah, which yeah they I'm hoping a, to have a lot of fun with that this summer. Yeah. Uh, should be able to launch it in June instead of September and uh, just you know, spend more time on the water having fun instead of uh, under it, you know, scraping and sanding and stuff. It now belongs under the boat, not the water. It, it now belongs on Unity Pond and uh, is, like, say, part of Unity uh, Barn Raisers, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Hey, as long as we're talking about that, uh, just before getting it into the water again, uh, would it be a good idea to just get in there with a can of uh, underwater seam compound and just hit any place that looks like it would take it, kind of? Never hurts to put more seam compound in, except for when it poops out and ruins the paint. When things uh, swell up, you know, that does happen, but you probably, uh, you know, you're not docking at the yacht club, for instance. So You're keep, not docking at the yacht club. This keeping the water out, I think, would be more important than aesthetics for you. Yeah. Um, it is a, uh, it's a wooden boat, the True Rock. Strip planked, isn't it? Uh, no, cedar on oak. Cedar on oak, okay. Well, and of course, uh, you know, it's all about how it was stored. The idea is to not let them dry out too much in the first place. Uh, you know, you don't want the wood, uh, you know, moving, uh, coming and going in both directions. That's how things get all loosey and yeah. why things need to be refastened and why... Uh, you can see, uh, you know, you can dry out a wooden boat, so you can throw a cat right through the planks, basically, and and it will take up after a while and float, maybe, but uh, it's not it's the best American way to approach it. A... Yeah, smock a kitten, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. Well, good luck with the canoe. All and, right. Yeah, perhaps even uh, here's another idea: some uh, molds. Uh, uh, I guess it would be a female mold that uh, the true shape of the canoe. Cut out of a block of wood, for instance, and, and maybe even uh, fasten the fiberglass right to the mold to get it back in shape, and, and then, uh, you know, then do your, uh, then put your patch to it. Put mm-hmm. your rails on or put a reinforcing patch on. Yeah, that yeah. sounds good. You know, but something to, uh, some kind of actual maybe mold, you cut them out of two by somethings, you know. Well, I got enough clamps where I could just kind of <laughs> test what happens when I get the rails on there and see. You know, maybe it'll just be fine, or, or yeah. maybe not, and then I'll go to plan B. Yeah, or like I say, just hang around with twisted kinky folks. <laughs> All right, well. <laughs> You're tuned into the right station. <laughs> that fell flat for a minute, but anyway. <laughs> All right, thank you much. Oh, thank you, Jim. Yeah. Oh, Jim from Burnham, uh, he's good regular, uh, mm-hmm. we call a regular suspect around Botox, which we like. So anyway, the number here. One eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight is the number to get into the studio. We're doing boat talk. It's on community radio WERU uh, every what uh, second Tuesday of the month is how we count these things. And uh, boat talk, like we said, kind of kind of fun, kind of popular, and we're urging you to support it this morning. Got people out there uh, answering the pledge phones as well, mm-hmm. and the number for that if you'd like to support boat talk in any way, shape, or form. One eight hundred six four three. 6273. Operators are swimming by. Yeah, we had a uh, interview with a merchant seaman neighbor of uh, Allen's today. We had Foy Brown from J.O. Brown's Boatyard over on North Haven. Nice little chat. And we got Matt Murphy, the editor of Wooden Boat, in here. 
And uh, we were just asking him some uh, neat places they've sent him in, uh, you know, interesting stories he's done. Uh, Rob White. Name another one. I'm thinking that boat festival over in France there. I don't think I can pronounce it, though. In, uh, in Brest or Douarnenez. Yeah, Douarnenez. Right. And I've you. been to neither. Um, oh, really? Uh, one of our other editors, Tom Jackson, has, oh, okay. uh, made several trips there. Mm. I see. Uh, uh, no. But well, they, ha- they have sent you some neat places, though, haven't they? Well, Norway's a favorite. Uh, wow. The boats of, of Scandinavia, Norway in particular. Wow. Yeah. We've, we've hosted uh, several tours now for readers of Norway, um, for, for wooden boat readers uh, uh, traveling to Norway. In other words, we've packaged a trip to, to maritime sites, museums, charter vessels, and, um, and run trips that last almost three weeks. Wow, I would like to see Scandinavia, I believe. Well, why don't you come aboard on one of these trips? Yeah, can I go as a... Uh, you can go in one of those containers. <laughs> well, that, that would be part of the scheme, actually. Don't travel too much for fun. Um, I got, I got a, a question. You go right ahead. For, for Matt. Um, I started boat building probably oh, a good 40 years ago now, sort of in the transition area between when boats were mostly wooden to when they started making a lot of fiberglass boats. And I've always said that the fiberglass boats are sort of a dumbing down of the boat building thing where you just have a mold and you pour in some chemicals and then fill in the space more or less as mm-hmm. opposed to true wooden boat building, which requires a lot of uh, knowledge and skill and, and techniques that you just don't see anywhere else. And uh, I know wooden boat probably wouldn't come out with an article on the dumbing down of boat building, but mm-hmm. um, do you ever have any sort of discussions as to uh, what's happening to, to uh, boat building in general? Well, yes, because um, uh, a lot of uh, listeners may not know that Wooden Boat publishes another magazine called called Professional Boat Builder. It's a trade magazine. You probably get it, Mike. Love it. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. yeah we do. It's a good magazine. And it's really on the cutting edge of, of composite boat building, not just fiberglass, but mm-hmm. composite plastic boat building and, and all boat building. Uh, but they, the... Uh, that magazine has a show in Miami every year, which is a, a meeting place, really uh, uh, worldwide for, for boat builders. The Ibex show. The Ibex show. Yes. And I've really gained a lot of respect for, for the level of craft involved in, um, in fiberglass and composite boat building. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, if you've got all those expensive uh, materials and you're, like, injecting a resin into them and stuff, you better have your stuff together, basically. Yeah. Or you've got a very expensive mess. Yeah, but you're letting somebody else figure out the <laughs> techniques for you, basically. You're, you're just sort of following the instructions when you're making a composite boat. I, well, my, maybe to a point, but yeah. I mean, look at some of these. Uh, these boats that are infused where, where um, the, the whole mold is a vacuum. Yeah, scrimp. Right, and, yeah. and uh, epoxy is poured in at one end and comes out the other, and, and the, uh, the the level of saturation is is pre-calculated. And uh, there's a lot riding on that, and I, I would think that um, the yeah, operators got to know what they're doing. There certainly is some thought into that, too. Uh, wooden Boat is also putting out a... Uh, uh, what's laying right here, isn't it? What's this one about? Uh, small boats. S- small boats, yeah. That's an annual edition. Yeah. Uh, and it comes out every December. Uh, we're coming up on the third one next December. There's a little feature in the magazine on a regular basis, uh, boats that you can build uh, easily in your backyard. So I forget what you call it exactly. but uh, It's called Getting Started in Boats. Yeah. Okay. And uh, uh, the last one featured a father-daughter project, for instance. And uh, That's right. Yeah. And beautiful little boats that you can, uh, like I say, cobble together kind of low, in a low-tech way. Anybody yeah. can do kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Speaking of that, here's a little notice from... Uh, 
Our friends at Come Boating down in Belfast, they're having their annual, uh, 8th annual rowing regatta Saturday, July 26, 2008, down to the Belfast Landon. We'll have much more about that in the future. But uh, as part of that, they're also going to have the Belfast Boat Builders Challenge, which I participated in one at the Wooden Boat Show one year down in Southwest Harbor. I was the world's second fastest wooden boat builder for a little while there. <laughs> Richard could row. We might have won. So anyway, that's a uh, that's a lovely thing that you do too, and it features those again those simple designs right. there. Yeah. yeah. Where's a wooden boat? What's the uh, now again? Wooden boat started uh, basically on a telephone nailed to a tree a quarter mile up the driveway. Right. Somewhere along there, there was a fire in the offices. You know, uh, that office was in Brooksville. Yeah. yeah. Bought a uh, old saltwater estate in Brooklyn. After where, the fire. Yeah, where the now recovery. the magazine is headquartered. Also, the wooden boat school. You have a wonderful waterfront down there where the schooners come in and mm-hmm. uh, every year. And, and uh, I mean, it's just, it's, what a beautiful place to go. You get down there and everybody's going, boats, 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 boats. It's boat heaven. Oh, it's boat heaven. And yeah, one of my favorite times down there sailing your, uh, what was that little, uh, Biscayne 14. I was sailing that with uh, Scott one morning and, we come in and jive by the dock, and the dock was covered with women and uh, women women uh, sailing class. And I'm telling you, what what a place you just want to be on a sunny day, you know. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful thing. So it's, uh, it is a beautiful thing. What's the future look like? Oh, it looks bright. Uh, the, um, uh, we, we, at the school, for example, the... Um, the, the, I can't tell you exactly the, um, the the number of repeats every year, but it's very high, and um, the, the level of enthusiasm around the topic is is really astounding that it <laughs> keeps going. Can I tell you hey. one quick wooden boat school story? Please. I, I have a nephew who uh, probably about 10, 12 years ago now, graduated from high school. He's in Florida. Decided that he wanted to be a, become a boat builder. And I said, well, come on up here to wooden boat school. If you really want to know how to build good boats, this is the place to start. And he did. And he took a course and built himself a little nutshell pram. Mm-hmm. Very proud of it. Went back down to Florida and started making more of those and was in a little local boat show with his little wooden prams there. And uh, during the boat show, a couple of blue-haired ladies walked by and one of them commented to the other and says, oh my, look at that. They're making those cute little boats out of wood now. <laughs> I thought that was That's sort of a commentary. <laughs> the, the, the way boating is in Florida. Yes. Yeah. Maybe from a kid, but not an old lady, you know? Yeah. Well, Mike, you mentioned um, the North Haven dinghy earlier. Yeah. And um, I, I was uh, recalling this story when you were talking to Foy about that, but the Wooden Boat School built one in the 80s and sold it recently. And it sold sight unseen to Argentina, to nice. a sailor on the. On, uh, sight unseen. That's. Yeah. Nice. And it is a world mark. I mean, uh, Eric Dow, just up at the top of the road in Brooklyn there, he's uh, sending uh, Hershoff 12 and a half, or Havens, I guess they are, the Joel White design. He's sending those over to Tokyo. Yes, he is. Yeah. What a beautiful thing that yeah, is. Yeah, this winter he is. And I would like to think part of that's the wooden boat connection. Uh, Eric writes for the magazine sometimes, and that can't have hurt anybody. Oh, I think it's symbiotic. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Eric, uh, for instance, or our friend Michael War, we were talking about earlier from Stonington, writing for the magazine. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of the content is is generated by by the readers, isn't it? Absolutely. Reader yeah. can be a writer. Yeah, it, our lifeblood, really. I've yeah. always dreamed about it. How would that happen? How would that happen? Yeah. You would pitch an idea to us in about three hundred words. Yeah. And um, and you kind of smile would, at it or say, "What are you out of would, your tree?" And would. Follow up with a phone call. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of these ideas get pushed and pulled before they end up in the the final format. Neat. So you don't get too much stuff that comes in, as you say, complete and over the transom kind of thing. You like to work with people along. 
uh, rarely is something absolutely complete. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. How do you ever know when something's done either? You can always, you know, mm -hmm. add more paint or another molding, can't yeah. you? So that's uh, woodenboat.com if anybody would like to get in touch with you. Okay? Yes. Any other contact number? Or you, that's the best way. That's the best way. Okay. Well... We're getting the wrap-it up in the background. They're playing the theme music by Schooner Fair. Eyes the buy that builds boat and eyes the buy that sails them. And, uh, you know, boat talk, second Tuesday of the month. What a joy. The pledge number again before we fade away is 1-800-643-6273. Boat Talk is made possible in part by the Red Fern Boat Company of Hancock County. Since 1982, offering maintenance, storage, and restoration for power boats and sailboats. Also offering dockage on Mount Desert Island, redfernboat.com.